In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Thanks, Ashley. I wonder, do you like taking risks? I don't. I, I choose a sure bet over a potential big win any day. Along with three friends, I took a significant risk one time in my career. We left secure jobs at a good company, and we went to work for a startup software development company here in town. And um, that potential big win ended with the FBI investigating the owner of the company. I, I don't like ambiguity in relationships. I like to know where I'm at with people. I don't like wondering if tasks are getting done, and so it's hard for me to delegate. I don't like putting myself at risk of injury, and so the most extreme sport that you will find me having any interest in is a little bit of downhill skiing at Detroit Mountain. 
But my life, like yours, is full of uncertainty. Is my marriage secure? Will my kids learn to love Jesus? Am I working hard enough? Does does he trust me? Will she leave me? What freedoms are we going to lose? Do I have enough money? Am I going to be able to pay the mortgage and still buy groceries? There's lots of uncertainty in our lives, and I don't like it. Do you know why? Because I like to be in control. Let's take a second look at Ruth 1, and I want you to notice two women, Orpah and the woman named Ruth, and they handle the uncertainty in their life very differently. Here's my goal for us this morning. I want us to grow in believing this truth, that every uncertainty is an opportunity to trust God to advance his good purpose. If you were with us this, it was this fall, right? When we were in Jonah. If you were with us this fall, when we went through the book of Jonah, then you probably remember that the Hebrew human authors of scripture love irony. And sometimes those ironies can be lost on us because we're not reading it in the original language uh, of Hebrew. But the Hebrew authors love irony. And there are three ironies that I want to give you right at the beginning of this text that I hope will help to kind of set the context and, and reset where we're at in the book of Ruth so that we don't have to preach all of last week's sermon all over again, okay? So here's the first irony that I want you to to notice this famine that is described in verse 1 motivates Elimelech and his family to leave Bethlehem and so the first irony is that the house of bread cannot provide food for its people the second irony is in the name Elimelech, his name means, my God is king. So, the one whose name my, means, my God is king, ironically, leaves the promised land that his God has graciously provided him. He does not trust God, his king, to meet all of his needs. And Elimelech's choice to leave the promised land leads to other bad choices, specifically his sons marrying Moabite women, something that God clearly forbids. And the third irony for us is in where Elimelech took his family. He took his family to Moab, and we read about Moab throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the early uh, book of books of the law. But here's the thing I want you to notice about Moab. We know quite a bit, and none of it is good. This was a bad destination. 
The nation of Moab sprung up from a sketchy relationship in Genesis 19. And it was a Moabite king in the book of Numbers who hired a false prophet to curse God's people. It was women from Moab in Numbers chapter 25 who led God's people into prostitution and idolatry. Moabites, according to Deuteronomy 23, were not welcome to come and worship in God's house. And also according to chapter 23 of Deuteronomy, God's people were forbidden from seeking the peace and the prosperity of the Moabites. Why? Why would God speak this way about an entire nation of people? The answer is in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 4, and it says this, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. Did you notice the irony? Elimelech leaves the house of bread, Bethlehem, for Moab, the people who did not provide food, bread, for God's people when they were exodusing the land of Egypt. After Elimelech and her two sons die in Moab, Naomi hears in verse number six that God has provided food for his people. And so Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. But her view of God is twisted. It's twisted by her circumstances. Her life is hard. Her world stinks. And so her perspective shrinks. And she sees God as great, but she can't see him as good. Perhaps because of this distorted view of God, Naomi encourages her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab. This makes some sense, humanly speaking, right? Bethlehem was once her home, but Bethlehem was never their home. It was never the home of Orpah and Ruth. Her people were not their people. Her land was not their land. Her gods were not, her God was not their gods. Perhaps Naomi believes that because they were Moabites, Orpah and Ruth will never be welcome in Bethlehem. Certainly, they're not going to be able to remarry. They're never going to have families. Naomi's land, Naomi's people, Naomi's life, could only offer Orpah and Ruth uncertainty.
after the third time, telling them to return to Moab, Orpah decides to leave the trio. She makes the same decision that Elimelech made in, chapter, in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. What was the decision? This life is hard, and the grass must be greener over there. I'm out. I'm going to go back to that because it looks better than what I've got right now and what's in ahead of me. My best hope, my best hope for security, my best hope for significance, my best hope for a future that matters is in my land with my people and my gods. This is a sensible, reasonable choice, humanly speaking. Certainly, being certain about your future, having a stable future, this makes a lot of sense to me. I like feeling like I'm in control. I don't like taking chances or risks. Naomi appeals to Ruth one final time. Go back with Orpah. Follow her example. That really is your best option. But Ruth clings to Naomi. Kids, this is like if you glue two pieces of paper together and you let that glue sit overnight She is clinging to Naomi like glue. It's like those two thin pieces of Lego that get stuck together and you can't pry them apart. She is clinging to Naomi. Some of you know this. When Lois and I, uh, I I should back up just one more sentence. Some of you know this, period. Lois and I met when we were young and we had a long distance relationship for a while. Uh, I lived here, well, in Moorhead, right? And she lived down in Lawrence, Kansas. And then when we got married, she made a very sacrificial choice to relocate, to come here to the flatland where there are blizzards. And in 1996, if you were here, you'll remember there were lots of blizzards and there was lots of wind and it was cold and miserable. And Kansas, Kansas must have looked so nice. Plus, they have the Jayhawks, and you get to cheer for the Chiefs. We have the Vikings, right? That's what we got. But she makes this choice, sacrificially, to relocate to Fargo. Ruth's choice to go with Naomi is greater than this type of a sacrificial relocation that Lois made. Ruth commits her entire life 
to Naomi. She commits in the way that we say at weddings, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, I am with you, I am clinging to you, I'm sticking with you, come whatever may. And don't miss this, it is not just her life. In the ancient Near East, the land and the gods of that land, the idols of that land, were connected. If you want a happy afterlife, you have to die in the land where the gods are that you worship. Think of the pharaohs building the pyramids, wanting to ensure that they could have a happy afterlife. When Naomi says, where you die, sorry, when Ruth says, where you die, I will die, her commitment to Naomi goes past this life on into the life to come. Look again at her words in verse number 15. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, notice this, Jehovah, may Jehovah the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Why did Ruth choose the uncertainty of life with Naomi for the security and the significance and a future that mattered back in Moab? Ruth had come to know the God of Israel. She hints at this in her oath. I want you to notice this. Ruth adapts God's words to his people in her oath to Naomi. Look at this from Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7. God says this, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. God's words, I will take you, Israel, as my people, and I will be your God. Ruth adapts this covenant language that God makes with Naomi. And and she says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Why did Ruth make this choice? Because Her incredible devotion to Naomi is underscored, is supported 
is held up by her devotion to the one true God that Naomi believes in. Behind Ruth's incredible devotion to Naomi is her devotion to the Lord, to Jehovah, to the God of Israel. See, Ruth's faith in the Lord has led her to a place of believing that every uncertainty is an opportunity to trust God to advance His good purpose. Ruth's faith leads her to make what looks like an insensible, unreasonable decision. She rejects all other sources of security. She rejects all other sources of significance. She rejects her best chance at a future that matters. And instead, Ruth trusts herself to the mercy of God. When Ruth's life is most uncertain, Ruth chooses to trust God. When your life is most uncertain, do you choose to trust God? Or do you try to live by your wits? Manage your life in your own strength. Make choices and decisions based on your own understanding. When life is hard, do you just try harder? How's that working out for you? Don't you find that there are way too many what-ifs? Way too much uncertainty for your heart to handle? Way too much that you don't know and can't figure out, can't understand? Don't you find that there are too many uncertainties outside of your control? If the God of the Bible is active right now in this world, and he is, then trusting your security and your significance and your future to him is the most reasonable thing you can do. When your security is not in your strength, but rather in God's sufficient grace, you don't have to be afraid of your own weakness. Isn't that good news? When you remember, when you remember that God in His mercy has dealt with all of your sin, 
covered all of your sin, forgiven all of your sin through the blood of Jesus, when you remember that God in mercy has done that, you don't have to make sense of your past. Lots of baggage back there. Some decisions that you're probably not proud of. Hurts that you caused and hurts that others caused you. When you remember that God in His mercy covers all of that past, you don't have to make sense of all of that. When you find your peace in the presence of God, the God who works everything for His glory and the good of His people, when you find your peace in that God's presence, You don't have to be worried about your future. No matter how uncertain it may look today. Just 16 verses into the book that bears her name, Ruth models incredible faith. She stakes her security and her significance and her future on Jehovah. She trusts her past and her present and her future to the Lord. She doesn't worry about a husband. She doesn't worry about a place to live. She's not concerned about what she's going to eat or whether she will be socially accepted when she gets to wherever it is that they're going. Ruth sees every uncertainty as an opportunity to trust God to advance his good purpose. Long before Paul wrote it, Ruth believed this from Romans chapter 8. We know. We know. Do you know this? Child of God, Paul says we should know this. We know that all things work together. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all things are good. Some things that work together are awful. They're dreadful. They're gut-wrenching. They're heartbreaking. They make you want to quit and give up and turn on your family and friends. They make you want to walk away from the faith. All things are not good. But all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God is strong enough to care for you in all of life's uncertainty. And he is gracious to want to care for you. He is great. And he is also good. 
And the proof of his strength, the proof of his goodness is what he accomplished through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that God has paid the price for sin. On the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. Instead of crushing every sinner like we deserved, instead of crushing every sinner, God in mercy adopts sinners into his family and commits himself to caring for them. And he provides the Holy Spirit, so that his people learn, learn to respond to life's uncertainties with faith. We learn to respond like Jesus. Jesus trusted God when humanly speaking, life was uncertain. He trusted God through the suffering, through the shame, through the separation of death on the cross. If God has done all this, friend, you can trust him to care for you. If he has done all this, then every uncertainty in your life is an opportunity to trust him. Why? To advance his good purpose. To work all things for the good of those who love him. It doesn't matter if your uncertainty is work or parenting or relationships or financial or political or health. Maybe your uncertainty is just an unknown tomorrow and the day after that. When your life is uncertain, will you trust him to make you more like Jesus? Will you testify of his grace to everyone who sees, everyone who observes his work in your life, everyone who sees you walking through uncertain times, joyfully, confident, trusting, hopeful in God? Will you commit yourself to testifying, not of your own strength, not of your own understanding, not of your own wit or your own, you know, trying harder, doing better, but of God's sufficient grace? Will you testify to that, to everyone who observes His good purpose in your life? Our hope, our hope is not in security. It is not in significance. It is not in a certain future of our own making. Our hope, people of God, is in the greatness and the goodness of God. Our hope is stirred by our faith in Jesus, and our hope is secured as we have sung together already this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. He 
will hold me fast. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ, Christ will hold me fast. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be your people. And we recognize how much we cling to our own strength and our own understanding and our own desire for control of the future. Would you forgive us for our failure to trust you and renew in us faith, confidence, hope because of Jesus. Thank you for giving us the Spirit. Thank you for giving us the power to trust you. Would you help us to choose to trust you even and especially when our life is uncertain? Thank you for giving us hope. Father, we suspect, we believe there could be someone here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus. And they are feeling insecure and insignificant and feeling the weight of an uncertain future. And they're exhausted by all of their own efforts. Please move in their heart By the power of the Holy Spirit and grant life, give them faith so that they respond by believing in Jesus for the very first time. Thank you for the promise of your word from Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you and continuing now in this time of worship. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things, giving thanks. Amen.